Welcome to White Shores, the podcast for spiritual beings having a human experience. Let me invite you to walk beside me on White Shores to discuss the real meaning of life. Let's invite some spiritual thought leaders to talk about soul evolution, spiritual awakening, personal growth, angels, the possibility of an afterlife. Let's discuss whether the paranormal is normal and psychic abilities are real. Let's ponder the meaning of our dreams, our intuitions. Let's practice rituals and divination and research the science of consciousness. Let's pause and gaze at the horizon and see what magic lies beyond the material. On today's episode, we have not just one, but two incredible guests and pioneers in the spiritual movement. They are none other than neurosurgeon and New York Times best-selling author Eben Alexander and his partner in life and work, Karen Newell. Eben Alexander is the author of Proof of Heaven and many other books, and Karen Newell is now co-authoring many of those books with him. Um, I have a bit of history with Eben and Karen, actually, because a few years ago, well, probably five years ago now, I um, interviewed Eben for my website and for my book, Ten Secrets of Heaven, published by Simon & Schuster. And then a year or so after that interview, because we got on well, um, he came to London and um, and I had the honour of spending a good nearly an hour with him over coffee with my co-author at the time of Answers from Heaven by Piatkus, Claire Broad, and the and the the four of us just had a really warm and engaging chat. You can get a real sense of people when you spend time with them. So I, I, I was absolutely thrilled when I reached out to him for the third time and said, please, could you come on White Shores podcast? And he just didn't hesitate. Um, and that's him. He's extremely generous, as is Karen. And I hope you enjoy the interview. We're going to talk about near-death experiences, which is the subject of proof of heaven, what an amazing title for a book, Proof of Heaven. But we're also going to talk about much more than that. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by my brand new Dream Decoder, published by Lawrence King. The stunning deck features 60 beautifully illustrated cards designed to interpret your most common dreams. If you've ever woken up and thought, what did that dream mean, then this deck is for you. And I'm pleased to say we're giving listeners of White Shores a unique code to get 35% off the Dream Decoder. Just visit www.lawrenceking.com and enter Teresa Chung at checkout. It's unlikely that we're going to have solid scientific proof that there is life after death, but we do have something that comes extremely close. And that is accounts of people who have actually died or been on the brink of death, but somehow returned to tell their stories. And these voyages to frontiers unseen report astonishing glimpses of a world beyond, a world that shimmers with light, magic and love. There are some very similar characteristics to near-death experience accounts. There's typically an out-of-body experience, spirit, consciousness, the eternal part of us separates from the body. Sometimes the spirit can see the physical form below and, and operating staff or uh, resuscitation experts trying to revive them. They feel pulled towards a tunnel of bright, intense 
warm light. There are spiritual beings waiting there, departed loved ones. Often there's talk of a life review and there's awareness of everything that has happened in their lives. And then sometimes there's a sense, or almost all the time, there's a sense of interconnection between everyone and everything. And then a sense that they must return, even though they want to stay. Um, Another near-death experiencer that I've spoken to, Anita Morjani, and I also have interviewed for my books, she spoke of this warmth and this love and this wonder um, and a sense of all-knowing. And that's also what Ibn Alexander in our interview will be talking about. It's absolutely fascinating. Of course, there are arguments against it. Um, Skeptics say it's just hallucination or the impact of drugs. Um, or or wishful thinking, but there are so many arguments to counter that as well. If it was wishful thinking, wouldn't we all have different different, um, images of life after death, not these similarities that seem to occur in all these near-death experiences? If it was hallucination, typically hallucinations are extremely frightening and alarming. They're not comforting, and also they don't tend to make sense. And also another defining characteristic of near-death experiences, which you will, you, will, you will notice when you hear Eben speaking, is that these people come back from the brink of death with their attitude towards life completely, dramatically changed. Indeed, they want to to live their lives in a totally different way. They want everybody to know about this this interconnection between everyone and everything and how the power of love to transform lives. Absolutely fascinating. But no more talk for me now. It's time to talk to someone who has actually been to heaven and come back to tell his remarkable tale. I'm going to now introduce Eben Alexander and Karen Newell. In 2008, New York Times best-selling author Dr. Eben Alexander spent seven days in a coma due to severe bacterial meningitis. While in coma with his brain shut down, he experienced a spectacular odyssey to realms beyond our known material physical universe. Um, a journey that ran opposed all conventional neuroscientific views about the brain, mind and consciousness. He's now on a journey to better understand what happened to him and how this relates to a revolutionary shift about our modern understanding of science and, and that the, maybe the gap between science and spirituality is closing in fast. In our interview, we're going to talk about his near-death experience and some of the essential lessons he learned and the paramount importance of love in our health, well-being. Karen Newell is the co-founder of Sacred Acoustics and she is a partner in life and work with Eben. She's going to share some of her tools developed by sacred acoustics that each of us can use to explore our own connection to inner knowing and the deeper realities of our existence. Karen and Eben also co-author many books now. One of the most recent was called Living in a Mindful Universe, which I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend. Well, you've just heard me read the biographies of these two incredible people in our movement. And I know that you're probably going to sit down and say, I want to spare the time to listen to this. Truly 
groundbreaking individuals in this movement. And I couldn't be happier that both you, Iban, and your partner, Karen, have agreed to come on to White Shores. Thank you. Well, thanks for having us, Teresa. It's great to be here. Yes, thank you. Hi, Karen. Hi, Eben. Thank you. Okay, Eben, Proof of Heaven obviously shot you to, to global fame. Um, there are a very few number of people on this planet who haven't heard of the book. Not many. I think most people have. But for those who haven't, could you just give a little um, uh, summary of it and your journey to writing it? Yeah, well, basically, I think it's important to point out I'd spent 54 years honing a very conventional scientific worldview. I taught neurosurgery at Harvard Medical School, thought I understood something about how brain, mind, and consciousness work, and then suddenly was thrown into deep coma uh, on November 10th, 2008, severe back pain, severe headaches, seizures, and then into coma for seven days due to a very severe case a bacterial meningitis. And anybody who wants to review the medical records of that case and how severely ill I was and how um, unexpected any kind of conscious experience would be can read the the case report. You can access that. Uh, came out September of last year of 2018 in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases. And uh, that case report um, basically can be accessed at evanalexander.com on my blog page uh, back in September uh, and it, it fully spells out the depths of my illness. And the reality is, for those of us in neuroscience, the best thing about my journey was how it very clearly shows that the neocortex and the brain are not fundamentally the creators of conscious awareness, that consciousness is much more fundamental than that. And that's, that's the big lesson it comes out of proof of heaven and that extraordinary journey I had through multiple spiritual realms, all at a time when my medical records showed very clearly that my brain was far too damaged to experience anything. And that's where I think the real value of all this is. And it simply points out that near-death experiences uh, represent a, a, a realm of reality very important to human beings that cannot be dismissed as just fantasy or hallucination. And that's why I think proof of heaven has so much value. It certainly has. It's an absolute beautiful read. Anyone who hasn't read it, you must. It's almost become like a Bible of, of the consciousness, consciousness movement. But um, do you think it was because you're a neurosurgeon that the book set the world alight in such a way? I mean, there were books about near-death experiences before, but well, yours really made it a talking point around the world. Well, I um, think that that is part of it. Uh, it just has to do with the fact these you know, anybody who's paying attention to the literature on near-death experiences realizes that we've had tens of millions of these events occur um, over the last many thousands of years. And to simply dismiss them as hallucination or, halluc uh, you know, as a, a, a fabrication of imagination and not something more uh, is to ignore the evidence. So the evidence uh, takes us into much deeper territory. Um, these journeys, as much as they always have similarities, they're also each tailored for the individual. And my individual journey as a neurosurgeon interested in consciousness uh, just happens to parallel a major interest in the world today over the same question. And I think that's why the book has resonated so well with so many people and why it's uh, part of this revolution in understanding of consciousness. 
Mm, and of course, the advance in resuscitation techniques, of course, has encouraged more and more people to come forward because I think these people would have died. Well, that's a good point. There, I mean, yeah. I, I would s- simply add that so much, I would say all of our religious systems going back thousands of years have emerged from similar journeys. So these kind of, a, uh, you know, thinning the veil and accessing that higher consciousness, uh, whether it's through NDEs or other spontaneous epiphanies, has given us our religious system. So this is just acknowledging the reality of that spiritual basis. And uh, it's all about the neuroscience of consciousness. It's not about faith-based religions at all. In fact, I'd say scientific materialism is one of the most uh, confused faith-based religions there is. Uh, so it's really time to wake up. And now science itself is actually a pathway towards deep truth. But I'm talking about a science that fully uh, gets uh, involved with quantum physics and trying to understand the message of quantum physics for this world. Mm. Do you feel that your life has always been building to this point? Because you had very much two two lives, really, didn't you? Well, the world, and then it all shifted. Did you have a sense of destiny growing up that there was something more? Well, I, I thought my destiny growing up was to contribute to the world of neurosurgery. And I guess my destiny is maybe a little bit bigger than that in terms of contributing to the overall human awareness of the nature of consciousness and reality. Uh, but no, I, it's not as if I felt driven to this for any other than kind of personal reasons. And my personal awareness and my personal connection with uh, other souls in my life, that's what's driven so much of this growth. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's never really been in a sense of, oh, do this for the world, uh, except for the fact that I realized four months after my coma, as I tell in the book Proof of Heaven, that I, going public with this story was absolutely imperative once I realized what it all truly meant. Mm, and terrifying, I would have thought, in some ways. Well, it was um, reassuring more than anything, refreshing. I mean, this is a, a truth that is needed by our very kind of fragmented and polarized world. And it's a knowledge of the higher role uh, that our souls can play in generating the, you know, the the kind of heavenly realm he, here in this world. And we can do this. We have the power as sentient beings to manifest this incredible reality. But it, it requires admitting that we're not separate, that we're actually all in this together, that we're united through mind and really through this heart love sense that Karen has been so uh, crucial in, in teaching me those deep lessons of heart consciousness. So it, she's been a, a just a wonderful asset oh, on this journey. Can you tell me, because a lot of people write to me, what, what was, I know you say heaven is personal. Um, what was it like for you when you were in heaven? Well, it, it's, feel? I think the thing that uh, is so important and the reason that near-death experiences come back to this world realizing there's nothing to fear about uh, death of the body and brain is we realize very strongly in an NDE that our brain is not the creator of consciousness, that we are not dependent on that physical body for our very existence, uh, and that, in fact, our existence in many ways precedes the existence of the physical body and a physical life. So it's a much grander kind of understanding of the nature of our existence. And that's what I think is so comforting. So it's very reassuring. And it's a truth that needs to come out to this world because materialist science has misled us into thinking we're separate and that this is mm-hmm. competition, you know, survival of the fittest, all these very misleading terms. Uh, because in fact, it's all about cooperation, collaboration. 
and being part of this one mind bound together through love. Beautiful. But tell us what it felt like. What did you... What did it feel like? Just uh, like being home. It's like you finally, oh my God, this is home. It's the place that is is truly uh, kind of the, the source of our of our of our being and our uh, existence and of our connection. And so it really, it, and this is why I think meditation is so important and why Karen and I give these meditation play shops. Mm. And I often encourage people to check out Sacred Acoustics is because of the power of going within to show any sentient being these deep truths. You don't need a near-death experience to know everything I know about the reality of the afterlife and of reincarnation. But it does take journeying within consciousness. I, I, I talk about you and Karen a lot, actually, when I'm, I'm challenged, you know, where's the proof, whatever. Um, and and I, I recently was on Under, Under the Skin with, with Russell Brand um, talking about you and describing your book. And uh, he was, you know, at what he's like, he's a comedian. He was saying that sounds a bit like taking drugs to me. <laughs> I wish I'd had a better answer for him. What should I have said? I think the thing to point out, people often remark, and this includes scientists who study these, uh, these cases, um, often remark on the similarities of the verbal reports between, say, a near-death experience and, for example, an ayahuasca dimethyltryptamine-type psychedelic experience. And there are similarities in the language, but uh, what I can tell you is I believe that the psychedelic drugs open a similar doorway that is open with a near-death experience or deep meditation or spontaneous epiphany, whatever the mode of getting to this deeper uh, acknowledgement of connection. Uh, but when you do it with meditation or with sound, I, that is with sacred acoustics type differential frequency brain entrainment, I think you can get far cleaner information from that world than with if, if you're dependent on the drugs. I think the drugs create way too much of a splash and a lot of the information gets lost. In fact, there's a book by Christopher Bache, B-A-C-H-E, who has tremendous experience with a spiritual uh, use of LSD, but he compares it in his book, Dark Night, Early Dawn, and says you actually can get a more consistent and deeper result of interacting with these realms through differential frequency sound. Now, he was limited to uh, kind of primitive forms of of, uh, of binaural beats back in the mid-90s, and, and sacred acoustics, in my view, is much more powerful. But the reality is my experience is the same. I think we can get much deeper and go much farther uh, using sound than we can those uh, those drugs. I, I agree. And, and I'm glad you've mentioned Karen, because I'm, I'm enchanted by the story of you two, because often there is a sense of destiny when you meet someone who's going to shift your life. And in a way, you had to kind of die to to fall in love and meet her that's, and that's that's just beautiful I that's absolutely true curable romantics that's um, a, a, so it's a, <laughs> karen can you tell us about your life before even and after and how you met okay and began your remarkable co collaboration well, I had always been someone who was curious about those big questions. Why are we here? What is our purpose? And most of us think about those things at one time or another, but they really drove my kind of interaction in the world. And it was hard to find answers in traditional sources like 
the Methodist religion I grew up in, they had their answers, but they weren't satisfying. And science couldn't really even address those kind of questions. And so I was went kind of on a search for what is the truth, capital T, truth. And this sent me into reading all kinds of esoteric and alternative types of spiritual teachings. And what I eventually came to realize is that firsthand experience is key to really understanding these things. And so I embarked on a path of generating such personal experience. And along the way, I did discover that sound had a particular powerful role to play, along with attention to the heart. But in the process of you know, taking workshops and, and learning about all of this, I came to a workshop about sound and there was Evan Alexander. Now, this was before his book had come out. He didn't even have a publishing deal, but it was three years after his coma. And when we met, I knew he had had a near-death experience. I'd met others who'd had them and I was curious. So many people learn these very deep personal spiritual lessons. And that's what I was curious about. And I said, what, what did you learn, you know, when you had your near death experience? And he looks at me and he says, the brain doesn't create consciousness. And I was kind of confused. And I said, well, why would anyone think that it does? And <laughs> this kind of set us on some very interesting discussions about why he believed, you know, before his coma, that the material world that's all that was existed. But I had come to know just through my own personal experience that that was a very limiting kind of viewpoint. And I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I do know there is more to this world than the physical from my firsthand experience. And Eben saw that I could bring something to this mission. He was driven to bring this message to the world and deliver firsthand experience to other souls. And so he invited me to, uh, work with him. But oh, I, the reason why is because I was busy developing a sound technology of my own with uh, my business partner, Kevin Cossey. And he and I had been creating sounds on our own for our own personal journeys. And so we invited Eben at that time to join us in these journeys. And what we would do is listen to these sounds from our three separate geographical locations, but then we would get on the phone and tell each other about what just happened. And we found we could kind of cross uh, meet in these etheric realms, not the same way we do here, but with our awareness. And this was great fun for uh, about a year. And then Proof of Heaven did finally come out. And that's when Evan invited me to teach others um, how to do this very important, uh, really birthright that all of us have. Beautiful. Um, be honest now, if he hadn't had a near-death experience, if he hadn't nearly died, would you have been interested? <laughs> <laughs> was the attraction there? I mean, or is it was it the mission or was it the, the I'm trying to get to, to under the skin there? Yeah, I have to say, so there was this very strong mental connection with the ideas yeah. and the thoughts and the thinking and the theories. But there was there was also this very strong um, sense that we knew each other that we were mm -hmm. meeting again. It was very familiar, very comforting. In fact, really, I feel safest with Evan than any other person in the world. And it's almost as if he would never hurt me and, and I would never hurt him. And this isn't because we're good people and we know how not to hurt people. It's because we're not capable of doing it. Like when I say something like you do in personal relationships that might be 
a reaction to something or some mean thing, like how could you something we never take it personally and it just has come naturally. And so we believe there was a sense of mission and destiny and re-meeting so that we could do whatever this is turning out to be. It's not with some uh, feeling of grandiose, um, you know, we must help people. It's just this drive from within that, that makes us want to connect and really make people understand that there's so much more than just their physical bodies. But I can just um, feel it and sense it through your voices and the way you refer to each other, the sharing and the caring about each other. It comes across even, uh, you know, through the microphone. It's absolutely beautiful. And anyone who hasn't heard Karen and even speak together, you are missing out on something. So do check out their websites and see where they are and, and learn and grow with them because they are amazing um, people to follow. And I know both of you work together on books now, don't you? Um, I loved living in a mindful universe. Um, how is that? What's that like working on a book together? Because I, I very much, I do, I've started to collaborate a bit and there are challenges, aren't there? Well, there are <laughs> challenges. There are a lot of challenges. And this one was specifically challenging because for me, because it was in Evan's voice and it was really the continuation of his journey beyond proof of heaven. Yeah. But for him, he really wanted to bring me into that voice to really show how our kind of theories and thinking had really come together. Right. I would say- like- it shows, in my view, it shows in the book, and of course, the audiobook. We both read uh, parts of the audiobook, so it, a lot comes through in the power of kind of the heartfelt connection of voice um, in sharing that. So it's beyond just the words. It's beautiful, but as I said, it is challenging, isn't it? So who who sets the guy? Who sets the template for it? <laughs> who says uh-huh. you do that chapter? I do that. Was it just very much? You sit down and work together because I recently I uh, collaborated with a scientist, and of course, coming from different backgrounds, it was quite a challenge to sort of get the two voices merging. Well, one thing I will uh, uh, also tell you is Karen spent the first uh, 25 years of her life before she met me, uh, 25 career years were spent as project manager and running uh, a lot of uh, kind of major things with her company. So she was used to organizing and and, uh, setting big projects in motion. And I must say her organizational skills came in very handy while we were writing the book. But the way that writing worked, as you're asking, is we both would write and Evan would write a big, long thing and then I would edit it. I would write a big, long thing and he would edit it. And so we were always passing paragraphs and chapters back and forth to each other. And sometimes it was very challenging because Evan is a very scientific mind, as as your listeners mm-hmm. are probably realizing. And so to get him to write about his personal uh inclinations was was a little challenging for him. And so I would uh, task him with certain questions and say, we really need this in this moment. We need your voice. I can't make up what your feelings were in these moments. And so he was really challenged with that, but he did an amazing job of really finding those feelings and putting them into words. And it was, uh, and, and he helped me because I was uh, so overwhelmed by all of the science. And I had to understand that science before it could end up in that final book. Anything I didn't completely understand for all of the science uh, folks is in the appendix so that people who weren't as versed with science could still follow along. I love that. I mean, trying to get scientists to sound like human beings is (laughs) not easy, is it? 
but you managed to achieve it because um, I always feel like a little tearful when I read your books. Um, so that that's job done, really. But happy tearful, if you know what I mean. Well, and, let, and, and let's not forget Proof of Heaven was a beautifully wrought emotional story. And that's where Evans uh, really shined with being able to express his personal life. Yeah, because that's what really strikes people. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to bring in the science, but I found often that sometimes people glaze over a bit. They just want their hearts to be touched. Sometimes you reach them there first and then bring in the science and all that's going on gives it gives it weight. Right. And then, and then, the, then, the, then the scientists don't want you to sound too woo-woo or off in, no. you know, spirit land. And so it's really, it was a challenge to find that balance for us where I felt like the spiritual minded person would could follow along, but the science person wouldn't think we had drifted into some nonsense. Now you've known, mentioned scientists and nonsense. How do you deal with the backlash, the skeptics that people who work in this movement inevitably get? Well, it's, it's, it's actually very simple. Uh, and that has to do with the fact I collaborate uh, with more than 100 scientists around the world in uh, addressing consciousness and coming to a deeper understanding of it. Um, these are not, you know, the little uh, kind of naysaying voices, the kind of uh, righteously indignant uh, materialists who are uh, claiming that NDEs and things like that are simply nonsense. They can't happen because their theoretical models won't allow it. Well, I'll simply point out that in, in neuro, the neuroscience of consciousness is an oxymoron. There is no such thing as a neuroscience of consciousness. Consciousness is one of the biggest, deepest mysteries. In fact, it's the deepest mystery known to all of modern scientific thinking. The brain-mind relationship uh, is nowhere close to any kind of resolution in terms of our understanding. So mm. uh, what I've found is that a huge amount of the scientific community is right there with me on this, trying to figure all this out, acknowledging the reality of these kind of journeys. Now, for your listeners who might be interested in the science, I would steer you to GalileoCommission.org. Karen and I were over in London last November helping to launch uh, that report from Harold Wallach and, and others, um, the Science and Medical Network uh, David Lorimer and others. And uh, it's a beautiful project, but it, what it shows to people, if you check out GalileoCommission.org, is you realize modern science is heavily in the world of knowing the reality of the spiritual aspects of this universe. Uh, and to pretend it's all material, that kind of line of thinking is going uh, extinct because it's never gone anywhere. No materialist neuroscientist has ever come up with even the remotest explanation of how a physical brain could create consciousness. And this revolution is crucial. And that's why uh, it is. I'm part of it. Brilliant. And, and is, it a, is it a society, a research study? Where is it? Ba it's based in London, I assume. Well, uh, I, uh, well I please do that. check it out. Harold actually uh, works out of Poland. But uh, anyway, the Galileo Commission was pretty much organized uh, for their right, formal announcement. <laughs> yeah, last uh, November. So anyway, just uh, that's um, I'm just pointing that out to people so they can get there, get right into the science of where this is all going. But the materialist science that pretends that our existence is birth to death, nothing more, that we are a physical body and our brain creates consciousness, that is going the way of the dodo. Nobody yeah. believes that who studies the evidence. So the evidence is very strongly suggesting the spiritual nature of humans and of the universe. So we're moving forward with that much uh, 
heralded knowledge and uh, kind of worldview. That's what we're trying to put together now. It's a deeper understanding based on all of that knowledge. Oh, fascinating. That's my homework. I'm going to be looking at that. And everybody else listening, do check that out, too. Are you, uh, what, I, I, do you have another book in the pipeline? What, where, what is your focus at the moment? I know you tour and lecture a lot. you all over the place. It's incredible. And um, I, Karen, I want to talk a bit more about sacred acoustics as well. But where are, where are the, your collaboration um, taking you writing-wise? At the well, moment? I would say right now, I'm not. we're not actively writing a book, although in my mind, there's pretty clearly one that needs to be written. Uh, and we'll see if I can get around to that in the next year or two or three. Uh, but it's We've, we've made so much progress in the last few years that there really is a lot even beyond living in a mindful universe that needs to be shared with this world. And that's probably what I'll be working on in the next few years. But it so far hasn't happened yet. And Karen and I have a tremendous uh, amount of, of uh, you know, invitations for interviews and for presentations and conferences so we can help uh, spread this message far and wide. I mean, in a way, it's changing because the old model of do a book and that's the way to, at the moment, you know, with with uh, social media and everything, you can actually reach so many more people, can't you? Sometimes by doing a, a video or podcast or anything, can't you? Well, that's that's what we're trying to do is get it out in all modalities. So, yes, a book. Yes, I get the videos out there, YouTube channels, interviews. Uh, we're trying to get it out there every possible way we can because it's important for this world to wake up. World peace is absolutely within our grasp, but it does involve this kind of awakening to our true potential. And one of the first steps people can take or maybe new to this is maybe to try Sacred Acoustics. Is that sacredacoustics.com, Karen? Yes, it's sacredacoustics.com. And, and it is a great place to start. It What really is the best thing for all of us to do is to get in touch with our inner world. We are so focused on the outer world, what's going on all around us, and very few of us pay attention to our inner world. And most of us, when we turn to the inner world, is when we have some sort of mental health disorder or, you know, we can't handle some emotional event and and we seek help. And uh, this is a travesty, really. We should all, as children, I believe, learn how to become familiar with that inner world. And one way to do that is through meditation. And meditation is for me at least, very challenging, especially to the Western mind whose thoughts are constantly racing and planning and, you know, trying to figure out that external world. And so sound was something that really helped me to settle the mind and really put aside all that mind chatter and really learn to recognize that inner observer. And the sound technology of sacred acoustics is brainwave entrainment technology that includes binaural beats. And it's designed to bring the listener's brain from that beta state of awareness where we're thinking and analyzing and, you know, worrying down to a more calm state of awareness that's associated with relaxation, with focus, with meditation. And uh, so the sound helps us to get there a little bit quicker than just sitting, watching the breath, the more traditional ways. Mm -hmm. So the other the other method is uh, <clears throat> that I recommend is very much related to the heart. And the more of us who can start paying attention to our heart, the more we can start to clear any 
old emotional wounds that we might have, which I'll tell you, every single person on the planet has these things. And we've learned really in the Western world to kind of suppress them. And when we can activate them, we can actually then release them and start to get to know what's behind all of those anxieties and fears. And that's the beauty. That's what Eben found during his near-death experience. That's when he felt that connection, that oneness to all that is. One of the uh, people who uses our tones happens, a couple actually, happen to be acupuncturists, and they work with children who have uh, attempted suicide but failed. And so they're still with us, but they're grappling with different issues. And so they give them acupuncture treatments, among other things. And while they're getting the acupuncture, when they play our sounds, children say things like, oh my gosh, if I'd felt this way before I tried to kill myself, I never would have tried. And so we would love to bring this feeling, this knowing that there's something greater than ourselves, whatever you want to call it is up to the individual, but there's something greater, something beyond the here and now. And when we can touch that, it changes our lives here. So we're not talking about going and spending all of our time in that space, but finding that balance. And when we pay more attention to our internal world, somehow magically, the external world seems to fall into place. And so as this happens for individuals around the world who take the time to do this, I imagine a world, if every person was doing this, how might that external world reflect the beautiful internal worlds that all of us have committed ourselves to developing. Oh, that is so eloquent, eloquently put. Um, I was just listening. I was mesmerized by what you were saying. Oh. Thank you. Thank you so much. And particularly, I get a lot of people who write to me during times of grief when they've lost a loved one. And you say often it's grief and crisis that opens us up to this. Um, and I will start, have been directing people to to you. And it's because sometimes people just want a system or, or an approach or, or a way in uh, for me to sort of give all this spiritual advice isn't always that helpful. Sometimes it's direct them somewhere. This is something practical you can do and then take it from there. Right. And, and, that's and one thing is so many of these systems, I know I've tried so many of them, many of the systems kind of require or expect that you will adopt a particular belief system. And this can be hard for us because we don't necessarily want to adopt the beliefs of a whole a whole system. We just want to try it out. And sacred acoustics is available no matter what your belief system. The only thing you have to believe is there's more to you than what you might think. Brilliant, brilliant. And just to return to, to your near-death experience, um, Eben, if there was one thing that heaven wants us to know or the afterlife or spirit or whatever you want to call it, what would, what would that be? It's that we're all in this together. We are truly sharing one mind and it's all that we are bound together through the forces of love. As near-death experiences will tell you in great numbers, no matter what their prior belief systems, um, the fundamental message is that we are loved, we're eternal, and we're all in this together. If we hurt another, we are truly hurting ourselves. Uh, and I think for people who want to get on this message much more strongly, I would encourage you to go to ebenalexander.com. There's a free 33-day email course there that will introduce 33 of the main concepts of our book, Living in a Mindful Universe. But you don't have to pay a penny. Your um, listeners can 
go to ebonalexander.com, click on that link, your 33-day journey into the heart of consciousness, and then they're uh, off and running. And each page has comment sections. More than 7,000 people have taken the course now from around the world, and they're helping each other. And uh, it's just a beautiful community that's forming up. But that is a free way for people to get into all these concepts and get right up to speed, not only on the science, but on the spiritual uh, power and that can come to the individual through this. So I strongly encourage people to do that. A glorious thing to do. So a message from heaven every day for 33 days free. That's very gracious. Um, uh, that's that's something that pe- should, people should definitely take advantage of, especially if you're new to all this and it's uh, a way for you to get to know Eben and Karen well. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I'm just going to end up with two kind of fun questions. What's fun, maybe not fun, but serious <laughs> as well, that I ask everyone, and it's very funny because I try and predict what the answers will be. Uh, and I've had varying degrees of success. <laughs> but Karen, first of all, you, if you could go back in time and give a piece of advice to your 16-year-old self, what would it be, just one piece of advice? To start that search and development of the internal world then, not when I was in my late 30s. Is that when you, you so you a bit, bit like Jesus, you started your mission later in life because he was in his 30s, wasn't he? Well, my, um, my mission was all, it was all connected. But when I actually, I was busy raising a, a teenage daughter and, and getting divorced and all of these things, it's hard to pay attention. But it was when I finally had time and I've noticed that people who do go to these types of courses are often in that older skew older because as young people, we're not really thinking about these things. And boy, did I learn so much through those, uh, those uh, experiences I had. And I would, I occasionally we meet those young folks who are already involved in this sort of activity and boy, are they advanced for their uh, generation. They are. I think because it's so conflicted at the moment, the world with division, there are more and more younger people because religion's not helping them. Yeah. Turning to people like yourself and even for guidance um, and inspiration at a younger age, I've noticed a younger, younger readership interested in this kind of work. It definitely tended to be the more older de- demographic mm-hmm. but oh this is interesting you say late 30s was there a particular catalyst for it that you you went from looking out the, to looking within there was no catalyst except my general curiosity but it was like i said that when my life started to give me opportunity to have time to focus on it and that's what many of us have so much challenge time. with is finding that mm-hmm. time and when i did find that time it, it is it was always there though. I, and I am unusual that I did not have a particular catalyst because so many people, it is the loss of a loved one, a, a health diagnosis, mm. a, a terrible, uh, you know, tragedy of some sort. And for me, that's not what it was. Um, so you were just drawn to mm-hmm. it. Even what would you say to your 16 year old self? I would say that it is all about relationships, that nothing else matters in this world than how we treat others and are treated and kind of develop our relationship with other uh, sentient beings. And that includes the animals in our lives. Uh, This is all about uh, relationships and that the more I can could teach my 16 year old self to try and uh, make all my efforts and choices to benefit the higher good for all involved, that would be time well spent. The problem with our modern world is we're so me focused. It's so egocentric. uh, No wonder it's so toxic and sick. There's a tremendous Mm. amount of benefit that comes from helping others 
And I think if I had seen the true power of that when I was much younger, I would have put a lot more of my energy into helping others and simply focusing on that higher good. I mean, you, you're right. You highlight we are, we are. I just feel that we're at a kind of like the the kettle's boiling, the water's getting boiled. We're in a time now where there's so much focus on the material, the external, right. social media, and the divisions in the world. It would need your and Karen's message more than ever. I think we do to bring us back to to, to what's what's real. Um, and then just one last question to you both: um, uh, If you could be a character or an object in Lord of the Rings, Karen, what would it be? I'm afraid I don't know that movie. <laughs> so honest, I love it. Because it's called White Shores, of course, and there's an iconic moment in um, Lord of the Rings when Gandalf is describing death as White Shores. Yeah, well, I didn't get that, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say you're the, you're, the, you're the fairy queen then. That's what I'll okay, <laughs> that's good. I would love to be a fairy queen. Anyone, I would say any, any character in that film who showed heart, um, who showed okay. who showed compassion yeah. and and a loving sort of maternal energy would be awesome. Or maybe Sam. Maybe Sam. Okay. I see. <laughs> I, I hope Eva's not googling now. No, I'm not googling. <laughs> I, I I mean I um, I love the Tolkien trilogy, but I don't have a particular character I would go for. But I will share a short story with you, and that has to do with the yeah. fact that there was some interest in Hollywood in us, uh, oh. you know, Proof of Heaven movie, etc. And with yeah, why isn't well, happening? I think there there are efforts that are happening. So I can't really talk about it, but uh, it's it's out there as a going possibility. But my point is that in the early discussions around all that back uh, four and five years ago. My youngest son, Bond, when asked who he thought should play me in the movie, he said, Gandalf. So, exactly. Actually, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> For whatever that's worth, I'll put it out there. My, my son thought Gandalf would be a perfect. Uh, well, Gandalf, Gandalf the Grey is more earthbound. Gandalf the White is when he dies and comes back. I think so we'll the, white. Gandalf, yes. the White. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the White and Galadriel. That's what we are. We've got Gandalf the White and Galadriel. So. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, um, it's been an absolute privilege to talk to you to you both. And um, and uh, let's keep it. All touch. right, Teresa. Thanks so much for having us. Great talking with you, too. Yes. Look forward to also seeing you sometime soon when we're back in London. Yeah, that'd be great. Definitely, definitely. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview and given you pause for thought. There certainly are questions about near-death experiences, but one thing is certain, they do exist and they've been reported for centuries since the very beginnings of time. There are thousands of reports from people all over the world who believe they have glimpsed life after death. And something that surprised me greatly when I began to research near-death experiences in more detail for my books was the sheer number of people who have reported them. Initially, I thought the experience was extremely rare and I'd have a hard time finding people to come forward to talk about what happened to them. I couldn't have been more wrong. When I was writing The Afterlife is Real for Schuster, which has a big section on near-death experiences, I did an appeal for near-death experience stories and they just came flooding in. Um, I shouldn't have been surprised really because uh, since... Then I've discovered that in recent years, a number of polls and surveys have indicated that as many in one in 20 people have had the experience. Now, why is that? Why are we hearing so much more about near-death experiences now? 
the chances are it's probably because of the um, advanced techniques of resuscitation that we have now. You've got to think 50 or 60 years ago, these people would have died because we couldn't bring them back from the brink. Um, and one of those people actually who is bringing them back from the brink is um, a scientist called Dr. Sam Parnia, and he's actually a pioneer in resuscitation expert uh, uh, techniques. And he was so intrigued by these stories of patients who are coming back and telling these stories. He thought in any other field of medical or scientific research, this would be data. So he decided to collate these stories and do a study. And his study in 2014 actually made the national newspapers and the news um, because it was major because he was able to prove proved tentatively that consciousness can survive body and brain death for at least three minutes. Now, the research was so exciting. More research is now ongoing of thousands of patients from hospitals all over the world. And I eagerly following that and um, and can't wait to, to, to hear the, the conclusions. Interestingly, uh, Sam Parnia isn't um, doesn't believe in the afterlife himself. He said that. But as I said, as from a scientific perspective these stories he wants to understand them and I absolutely love that another um, researcher scientific researcher who's who's really important in this field is Dr Penny Sartori and I'm hoping um, that she's going to be a guest on this podcast too to talk about her research Uh, she's UK based so that that will be exciting but just to give you a a snapshot of some of the typical uh, letters I got I hate that word typical because none of the stories I get are typical all of them are extraordinary but I've just chosen this story because it kind of captures uh, the essence of many of the other stories it has many of the common features Um, and um, I'm going to read it to you now and I hope it brings you some comfort and understanding in my book, it comes from my book, The Afterlife is Real, and it's the title, I Can See Clearly Now, and it was sent to me by a very beautiful lady called Haley. Teresa, in 2005, I nearly died on the operating table. I hemorrhaged, and my doctor later told me that everyone thought they had lost me. I recall floating above my body and seeing the surgeon and staff panic as they tried to save my life. I didn't feel any panic myself. It was as if I was watching an interesting novelty. I wasn't involved. Suddenly, I felt myself being blown feet first into a grey mist. I don't know why, but I remember seeing my legs and bare feet bathed in yellow light flooding into the mist. When I was in the mist, I lived my entire life again. Can't explain it too well, but I remembered everything and again there was that feeling of interested detachment. I wasn't involved. I just watched, and I particularly watched the reactions of other people to my thoughts and feelings. Then I found myself in this beautiful place. It was the most gorgeous and glittering place I have ever seen, like a garden, but so much more than a garden. I felt nothing but completeness and happiness. My mind was still, I heard music, but music that I have not heard on earth before. And the scenery about me was like nothing I have seen on earth either. It was so vivid and beautiful. It shimmered like crystal and diamonds. Then everything vanished. And the next thing I recall is waking up feeling very sore and tired in the recovery room. Everyone who knows me would tell you that afterwards I changed. 
I know I have changed. It sounds corny, but I feel that I was somehow born again, starting my life again. I am more compassionate and considerate of myself and others now. I live in the present. I'm not afraid to be loving and spontaneous. Teresa, I can see clearly now. Thank you, Haley, for that story. And for everyone who has sent me a story um, over the years, I truly love that aspect of my work hearing from you. And I do hope um, as you listen to this podcast, it will encourage you again to dig deep into your hearts and souls and to send me more stories and insights because they really, really are not only inspire me, but when I'm able to share them with a wider audience through my books, they bring comfort, hope, healing and inspiration to others. And and, um, I feel that together we are all bringing spirit closer and closer to earth. Um, And also many of the reason people don't talk openly about their spiritual and paranormal experiences is because fear of ridicule or being labeled crazy by doctors or their loved ones. But fortunately, this trend is starting to reverse um, as podcasts like this emerging um, and and publishers allowing me to publish this kind of material. And scientists like Dr. Samparnia and and neurosurgeons like Dr. Ivan Alexander publishing in this field. And um, it's a very, very um, exciting time to be alive. I'm just going to close this Uh, podcast with something practical, a technique, something that you can take away and practice yourself. And I'd love your thoughts on it. It's a ritual taken from um, one of my latest books, 21 Rituals to Ignite Your Intuition, published by Watkins. And it is inspired from uh, by a Malaysian tribe called the Pirar. Now they are famous for being completely free of mental health issues, crime. They're one of the happiest tribes on earth. And one of their secrets is is their emphasis on the spiritual, the the world of the invisible and unseen. They actually spend very little um, time during the day on material concerns. There's more focus on meditation, on interpreting dreams, and um, lucid dreaming, which is another whole podcast in itself that I'd be excited to do. Um, so this ritual is inspired by them. Um, if they're the happiest tribe on earth, we're all seeking happiness. Maybe their approach to sleep will inspire you. But their approach to sleep is basically that they prefer not to do it. <laughs> now, I'm not recommending that because we're not a tribal culture. We live in a very different time and sleep is essential for our health and well-being. But what the Parade do, they believe that when you fall asleep, you wake up a new person. So what they tend to do is nap during the day for 20, 30 minutes. They don't get a full night's sleep. As I said, if they do fall asleep, you know, they get exhausted and they fall asleep, they will give themselves a new name, as if the person they were the day before had died and they were born anew. So let's take inspiration from that, because if you think every night when you fall asleep and enter the world of dreams, you are entering the world of your unconscious, perhaps the spiritual realm. And few of us really appreciate the life-enhancing, life-changing, spiritual awakening potential of that. So tonight, when you go to sleep, just a few minutes before you go to sleep, take a deep breath in and then an even longer breath out. 
And again, take a deep breath in and a longer breath out. And as you breathe out, focus on releasing your day with gratitude. Settle down to sleep and think about your day and the impact you've had on others and also about your own personal soul growth. If you're not feeling content with the way you've interacted with others, remember the inspiration we've got from near-death experiences that when you encounter a life review on the other side, it's not so much what you've done, but how you've impacted other people with your words, your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. What an inspiring thought that potentially the heaven or the afterlife you create is one you create every single day by your the, the actions, the thoughts, the words, and the deeds that you're doing right now. That's a really, really um, life-changing, empowering thought that we're actually creating our own heaven by what we do every day of our lives. So focus on that. And then also focus on the fact that tomorrow is a new day. You will be reborn anew. And do you want to be reborn more evolved, stronger, happier, more grateful than before. And I know all of you will do because you're listening to this podcast for spiritual beings because you're all spiritual beings. Start treating sleep with the reverence it deserves. It is a kind of a mini death when you let go of one day and then you're reborn anew. And every new day is an astonishing miracle for you to make a difference for your own life and for the life of others and for the life of the planet. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and please join me again next week when we will walk together once more on White Shores and get in touch with me too at my angeltalk710 at aol.com email. Yes, I am still on AOL, but I have evolved and moved with the times too. Um, And you can find me on Teresa Chung author, Facebook and Instagram. Um, Please do message me and offer your feedback and suggestions for the show because I want it to be um, a podcast that brings you comfort, hope, joy and inspiration. If you've enjoyed the music on this podcast, it's from Clown Ri. That's C-L-U-A-I-N-R-I. And you can find out about them at www.clownree.com. The music's from an album called From Lips of Angels, available on iTunes. And some of the tracks on that album were inspired by one of my books, An Angel Changed My Life.